0: There was a lot of mental mapping, trying to piece together the puzzle and how it fit. And the danger as a writer when you're doing that is you can overload the reader with too much information. Taylor Stevens the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers and this is the Taylor Stevens and Steve Campbell show where we are kicking riding in the butt one word at a time.
1: Oh are we renaming the show?
0: <laughs> well Steve everybody <laughs> knows that without you this show wouldn't happen. <laughs> I just right. have to remind everybody once much how the, I still know it too.
1: Well, good. Thank you. Um, We have had something very unusual happen today, something that hasn't happened since October 3rd. It rained. and We have not had more than 15 minutes worth of rain since October 3rd, which is unbelievable for this part of the country.
0: So the unusualness was the drought, not the rain. You finally got the normal back, right?
1: Yeah, it doesn't rain very often during the winter down here. Oh okay. The 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 only rain we get is is traditionally associated with cold fronts and we've only had one cold front come through and it didn't bring any rain. So oh. normally, you know, they're rolling through every couple of weeks and you get a nice dousing and we've had nothing. So, you know, the grass is brown and the lakes are down and you know, it's just it's not it's normal glorious uh, Naples. Right now, But we had a great rain, and it was enough that it probably got a couple inches, so it's pretty nice.
0: Well, if you want to talk about weather, it's been like—February is supposed to be the coldest month, and we've been having 80-degree days. Really? And all the trees are starting to come to life, and we're like, no, 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 go back, go back. It's not (laughs) time yet, because sometimes we get freezes in April. It's just really erratic, and this is, I think, going to go on record as being the hottest winter ever for us. So, yeah, I'm really nervous about
1: what summer's gonna be like yeah i don't it it may be the same for us we've we've really the only cold weather we had was the morning of that uh triathlon that I did that was <laughs> the <about> only <laughs> cold day of the year so, yeah, other than that it's it's just been you know lowe's in the in the mid sixties has has been about it so yeah, weather, what a great way to open the show. For I those know, of right? you that are still listening, we do have a show today. <laughs> <laughs> we're, going, we're going to, this is going to be part two of going through the, uh, the document that we started on last week, going through Taylor's uh, notes that she'd given me on uh, a manuscript that I'm working on. So we're going to get to that. But in the chit-chat section, there was a question or a comment in the group regarding something that you had said, Taylor, and I know you wanted to address that
0: yeah so um in in the last show, we went a bit on or I went a bit on about this hack of when you when you're splicing in dialogue and um action and the the character's thoughts that there's a specific order these elements need to fl- to go into for to remove the grit. Um, it, it it creates a cause effect pathway where. The mind just flows with it, and so um, Carol had called in a message on our hotline saying, more or less, that you know she gets that and she agrees with it, but she feels that in a case where, um, like the one we were talking about in Steve's work, where the guy was in bed and then you know he was rushing to get his things all together, that it could create a sort of um, cognitive dissonance. Where does someone really take that long to respond? Uh, before they actually say something. So I wanted to clarify. So that sequence of thought, action, speech, it's not like all the thoughts have to be in one spot, then comes all the action, then comes all the speech. Like there will be instances where only two of those elements exist. That's just the order that things flow. So you can have something happens, then thought then speech, then action, then speech, then thought, then action, then speech. And it just flows in that continual thing. So you can break up all the actions and and put them in different places as long as the action flows in a chronological sequence. And interspersed in all of those, you can have the thoughts and the, the speech as long as it follows that Flow of thought before action, action before speech, and then it can go on again, and you just keep cycling it through. Just you, if you see it the other way around, it's going to create a reading grit. And so to go back to. Uh, Steve's original work, like I went ahead and reworked it and it didn't really take a lot. It was tiny, tiny little tweaks just to make sure that the reader understood where they were and who was talking. The way that it reads now is the front door slammed, waking me from one of those dreams you don't want to wake from. I rolled right and squinted at the clock. So that's action. 6.15, that's telling us a situation, Telling. that's giving us information. As soon as the information comes in, that basically resets the clock, no pen intended, Um, where we start over again. Crap, that's thought. Melinda was early this morning. That's thought. Be right out, I shouted. That is speech. That, we hit the end of the thought, action, speech, it resets. I grab my shorts and running shoes. That's action. Is it cold? That's speech. So see it still follow it it's not all in one spot but it still follows that same pattern reset start over and it doesn't create the cognitive dissonance of making like all these things have to happen before somebody can say something. So there's a lot of flexibility in how you use it. It's just that is the cause effect pathway that things have to flow for the brain to make sense of them.
1: And what we will do is put the original section that I wrote and the Slightly tweaked version that Taylor just read, and there's a little bit more in there that she wrote as well. We'll put that in the show notes, and you'll see that it really is uh, – the changes really are very slight But it it does make a significant difference. And I would also like to point out for anyone that's complaining that we talk too much about the weather in the beginning of the show that we have – and when I say we, I mean Taylor. We have used the words cause-effect pathway and cognitive dissonance this early in the show. So this (laughs) is a highbrow show. So stay tuned for even more of this fascinating highbrow discussion.
0: No, that's as high as as it gets.
1: Okay, when we left off last week, we were on, I believe, page 37. So we're picking it up on page 40, which is the next comment that uh, Taylor left in the manuscript. And this is another opening. If you remember or if you listened to last week's show, uh, there was a lot of discussion about the crappiness. I'll use a lowbrow world word. The crappiness of my opening. <laughs>
0: that, uh, if anybody was discussing that, that was Steve. It was not me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the weakness of the opening. So the chapter starts with me using someone's name, which I had done in the beginning of the of the initial story, and we talked about all that last last week. So. I'll read a little bit a little bit of it. Emil Suarez pulled off a pair of dirt-coated gloves and sat on a wooden bench next to the open door of a small garage stuffed with lawn equipment and gardening supplies. And Taylor's comment is, the problem with starting a chapter in one person's name is that the reader expects it's going to be from that person's point of view. We talked about that last week. And then she gives an easy fix. And – it's the last part that, that I want to really bring out today. Also, this is the second foreign-sounding name that starts with an E. I learned the hard way that people get this mixed up fast if you don't first set the scene for where you are and what's going on, i.e. anchoring. And yes, I do that all the time. I, I have a tendency to, once I come up with one name, then every name that I come up with after that begins with the same letter. And
0: I've done it and and I didn't even know I was doing it till after the book was printed and (laughs) Peter started calling me on it because my editor didn't catch it. The copy editor didn't catch it. Like some people are really observant of that and some people aren't. And it just so happened that nobody on the production team
1: saw the similarity in any of the names. And foreign sounding names. I mean, it sounds it sounds like an odd thing to say, but but for many of us. I am 60 years old. I'm used to names like Bob and Sam and Bill and George and things like that, names that are unusual, whether they be the kinds of names that parents give their children today or, or names that people in other countries might have are uh, names that don't instantly come to mind for me. So any of those names would be – I would probably need some anchoring for as a reader
0: um you know you probably know a few bobs and you probably know a few bills and so if you were reading a book that had bob and bill in it even without intending to there'd be some um mental association with that name to go with it like maybe the last time you saw bob he was wearing a blue shirt and so when the name bob comes up when you don't even realize it you've got that blue shirt image and maybe the last time you spoke with bill he was drinking a martini and so you've got that and so you could read a story with bob and bill and never get those two characters mixed up because you've got some mental association going on with them and they're familiar even though those names are both very short both start with b and are similar sounding someone else those two characters might as well be the same person as far as they're concerned so if you if you keep that in mind for all character names, then you're great.
1: Okay, so let's let's talk specifically about this situation. Emil is um, a gardener. He he maintains uh, the grounds of an estate in the the city where my main character lives, and so I'm introducing him here, pulling off dirt-covered gloves. I felt like I was anchoring the scene reasonably well, but because we don't know him. It, it needed to have been done differently.
0: Well, not only is it that we're opening the scene as he's being observed, and we don't know that he's being observed. What Everything you've described, it tells what he is, but it doesn't tell who he is. There's nothing in that scene that describes Emil himself. So what we have is a faceless person who's pulling off Dirt coated gloves. When we refer to Emile at anywhere else in the story, the only thing we have at this point that can connect to him is the gardener. But if he had jet black hair, or he had a mustache that looked like it belonged, you know, in the 70s, or if he had delicate hands that you wouldn't have expect you'd have expected to see on a piano player versus a gardener those are all physical characteristics that are tied to the person themselves that then makes it easier to for the reader to put some kind of image to a meal and then keep him separate from the next person that comes up with foreign sounding name
1: got it okay the next section and and this is it is it's not unique to detective novels but it's it's a It's a part of every detective novel, and I know you've used it yourself in the Monroe novels. It's a scene where the protagonist is sort of running through a what happened or who might have done it kind of scene. And your comment was, this is really the first time he started sorting through his suspect list, and for the reader, this is a critical moment, and yet it's missing the impact. It's like his logic flow feels really shallow, the reasons that are causing him to look one way or the other, uh, etc., etc., and it, it makes perfect sense, what you're saying makes perfect sense in the context of, of what I've written, and I just knew I needed to have this scene here, so I, I just sort of put it in with the idea that I would improve it at some point in the future, but what do I need to do to improve it when the time comes?
0: When you say, what do I need to do? I'm like, I don't know! <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, of course, every, every writer is unique, every story is unique, whatever. Um and I'm not the fount of all wisdom. For me, what what I really see those opportunities as are opportunities to guide the reader, um, and opportunities to explain things that may have been hinted at earlier, but you didn't have time to elaborate on. And it's an it's a chance to really solidify and clarify in your mind, the reader's mind, the character's minds, what actually has happened up until this point? What actually matters? What doesn't matter? Why does this matter? Why doesn't this matter? And, it, you know, if you want to set a red herring now at that point and um, lead him to believe a certain thing is a certain way for whatever reason. It's a really good opportunity to state that and, and you're basically staking out your ground because when it turns out to be a red herring later on, for example, then it's it's a much bigger deal of, you know, his thinking was wrong, he missed something or whatever. Um, if If his thinking is very clear of why, and it doesn't have to be right, it doesn't have to be where... It even makes sense to anyone but him. I mean, it does have to make sense in the context of the story so that people aren't reading it going, oh, that's so stupid. But it could be where something as silly as, you know, he had a personal experience with ice cream that made his head hurt and ache. And, you know, he couldn't imagine somebody eating ice cream that fast. And that guy was had already finished his cone, you know, a minute ago, so that caused him to think xyz ridiculous but makes perfect sense to him that's one of those things where i'm saying it doesn't really have to make sense it it has to make sense to the character in in the story so going over a suspect list is like you finally get a pause and you get to really Lay out the scope of what's gone on, highlight things that maybe might have been missed, analyze things that people might have, readers might have thought too much of and discard them because they were set up to be something they weren't. It's an opportunity to clarify the story. Um, Almost like stations along the train track between the beginning and the end that, Keep you know you could divert from there and and um, it's like your switchboard. So to to just breeze through it, I felt it was like this is totally squandered.
1: Okay, now did I also and and maybe I'm just reading into the first line of this where you said this is really the first time he's started sorting through the suspect list. Uh, were you also implying that it's too late to do that for the first time?
0: No, because of the way the story has gone on and okay we have to back up a little bit here you know what you're writing is it would be classically a detective story right like it it meets the genre specifications i don't write in that genre i've probably never even officially read in that genre so <laughs> i'm not in any way shape or form qualified to speak to it on a genre level but as a reader and looking at it for for context and for feel as a writer, I didn't feel that it was misplaced or too late because the way that the story was flowing, there wasn't any place that it could have gone further. He's still trying to figure out for himself what's going on. But it just was missing the impact of him really looking at the situation with clarity.
1: And then as you do this again through the course of the book, Uh, occasionally to sort of ground the reader in everything that's going on, remind the reader what's going on. Does it, is it like a funnel where as you go further along in the process, each time you do this, uh, there's less information that squeezes out. There are fewer possibilities. And can you spend less time doing it? Does it, can it be less impactful or does it always need to be impactful?
0: Um, Just to know off the top of my head without having really thought about it, I would say that each time you go, each time you hit it, it become, it needs to be more impactful because you're trying to get towards resolution. You're trying to help him figure out, even if he's wrong, he's trying to figure out the bad guy, so-called. And so if you run through all the suspects, listen, I've seen this happen in, in books by a very well-known author, I should say, I have seen it happen in a book by a very well-known author, where they continually had the lead character run through all the suspects and the lists and where they were in the story, Um, I guess as a reminder to the reader, and it became so annoying because it happened very frequently and there wasn't really anything new brought up. There wasn't a discarding of possibilities or an addition of possibilities. It was just a rehash. That's where I think it can be overdone um, too much. And so my personal desire, if I was doing this, would be to make sure that any time the suspect list is brought up again, it would be triggered for a specific reason. Like, why is he thinking about it right now? either because a new piece of information or because he just finished doing something um, because he's frustrated. There's got to be a reason why he's thinking about it right now. And that something would trigger a discard of information, an addition, a conflict of information. uh, And okay, I got it now. Like anything new that is going to continue to drive the story forward. When I was writing The Mask, It was a situation um, where there's more than one person. And Monroe did not know that there was more than one person. And the, the events and the scenes and the things that were happening didn't make sense. Like, why? How? But it was happening nonetheless to her. And so in that story, there was a lot of mental mapping trying to piece together the puzzle and how it fit. And the danger as a writer when you're doing that is you can overload the reader with too much information. Those were some of the most difficult parts for me to write in that story is to make sure that her logic flow was coherent for the reader, whether she was right or wrong. And that the most important things the reader needed to know were there on the page. And that the things that she felt were extraneous were written off then at that point as being extraneous or something to think about later. In other words, everything wasn't analyzed all the time, but the parts that were pertinent to the story at the time.
1: Okay, and I'm going to look that up since I have my perry copy of The Mask here, and I believe I have an autograph copy. <laughs> woo <Woo-hoo! laughs> All right, we'll move on to... Oh, um, for context, for mystery writers that are out there listening, if you have some thoughts on this, this, where I first put this in, is about 20% of the way through the book. So if you have some thoughts on specifically where it should be, if there are rules for lighthearted mysteries, where something like this should be, let us know, or let me know. I'd appreciate it. So the, the next comment and this was this was an interesting one because when we talked about when Taylor and I talked about this it was an easy fix and I've since fixed it but I fixed it in a later scene rather than an earlier scene so I have to go back and change that but i, I we want to talk about it because i think it it helps to make uh, an example of how easy it can be to fix something and and the the scene is Reggie is at home and he remembers that he was expecting some pictures to be emailed and he goes to the office. And Taylor's comment was I love the sense of scene. I love the sense of place in this scene, but I'm a technophobe and even I can get email on my phone. (laughs) So if he's going to the office, if he's leaving the house to go to the office, there's got to be a reason for it. So I explained the reason. The reason is essentially that Reggie is a bit of a privacy nut, and he has no interest in having a smartphone, and he has no interest in having a computer in his house, and that's the reason he goes to the office. And you said –
0: I said that is a perfect example right there <laughs> of um how if this story and we've talked uh, we've had long discussions on the Taylor Stevens fan club group on Facebook of um when stories become contrived and things that are written into the story simply because the author needs them to happen that way but they'd never really happen in real life that way and this is a perfect example of that where And and I, I keep saying they can be fixed. They can be fixed. They're not that difficult to fix as long as the forethought goes into setting it up. So this right here is a perfect example of what I'm talking about with how easy it is to fix. If this had been left the way it was, it would have been very contrived and very like, come on, are you kidding me? But the reason for it makes perfect sense. It just can't show up right here. It has to show up it has to be hinted at a, a couple of times along the way, just throw away lines here or there about him not having anything more than a basic phone on him or, you know, he some subject of email coming up and him thinking, OK, yeah, the earliest I can get to the office is XYZ. So that by the time this scene sets in, we already are familiar with Reggie's habits and it's not contrived anymore. It's part of his character. It's part of the actual story. We've we've talked before about how just because a story has a plot hole or it's—and especially I haven't read enough of the story. I don't know what happens in it yet to know if, if something like this, you know, if the whole story hinges on something like this. But if it did, all the more so to make sure that it's lined up properly along the way so that the reader doesn't get to the end of the story and go— <laughs> If he just had email on his phone, that none of that would have happened, right? Very easy to fix as long as you thoroughly think it through and make sure it's foreshadowed early enough on in the story.
1: All right. And one of the things that I did later on that you haven't read yet is there's a little bit of a privacy rant in there. And it, it, I.
0: Well, Steve, you're stealing my thunder there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't. I, I probably should quote you in the in the uh, in the rant. Should that be earlier, or should I just be alluding to it earlier, and then I just have the rant wherever wherever it's appropriate to have the rant?
0: Um, you definitely want if you're going to have a character rant on something, then that. I mean, you're kind of again not knowing the size of the rant or what's being said. You're kind of breaking a little bit of a rule in that you you generally try not to have characters go out on monologues, right? So even if it's a very, very short monologue rant, you don't want it to come out of nowhere, because then it just feels like the author's preaching to the reader. So for it to be true to character, you're going to want to allude to it a few times before it actually hits. And alluding doesn't mean saying flat out, you know, Reggie was a privacy nut. It's The fact that he didn't have a phone alludes to it. The fact that he, you know, had to go check email in the office alludes to it. A little snide comment to somebody else would allude to it. And that would be enough, that by the time it hits, we're already prepped that this is in character.
1: All right, Chapter 5. And this was—last week you may have heard me mention the one— chapter open or scene opening that i got that earned some praise from taylor if
0: i could roll my eyes anymore they would be stuck in my head
1: we need to start doing a video podcast so that people can see your eye rolls Uh, but i want to read it since it got some praise and it was one sentence which is uh much shorter than my normal opens and that that sentence is saturday morning arrived shrouded in clouds and sticky summer-like warmth and your comment was, great chapter open, succinct, atmospheric, and the reader is anchored. So that's just, I guess, our example, my example of having done it correctly once. Oh. In chapter five. After getting times. it wrong from
0: no. chapters one, <laughs> two, three, and
1: four. <laughs> We're going to have a good start talking to you when this is over, Steve. <laughs> All right. And then there's a, a funny bit um, kind of below that. And... I talked about... Well, I'll just read it. Novembers could be like this in Elan. Beautiful fall weather one day and full-on summer heat the next. I made myself a sturdy breakfast of coffee, raisin bran, and toast with a delicious blueberry jam I'd purchased at the local farmer's market. Then hopped in the Jeep for the short drive to Toys for Boys. Your comment was for delicious blueberry jam. This makes him sound like a 30-something-year-old single woman. (laughs) Which is perfect if you point out exactly that in the text. Otherwise, it, it's an extraneous detail that clashes with the idea of him being a guy's guy. So basically what you're saying is I can leave it in, but I have to joke about it.
0: Yeah. Um, it's just it's incongruent, if that's even how you pronounce that word, with everything else that's come before about, about this guy and what he does. And all of a sudden he's talking about this delicious blueberry jam. And it's the combination of delicious and the type, like he knew the specific fruit and the jam. And I'm just like, seriously, most men that I know are like, where's that sweet goopy stuff in the fridge? You know, not like they're all cavemen or anything, but it's like... Oh, and I love the lavender soap with those little flecks of sage. No, come on, you know? So I'm like, it's great if that's how he is. It's perfect because it's anti cliche, but you just have to have him make fun of himself or point out the fact that you, as the author, know that this is anti cliche. Otherwise, people are like, what? You know what? It just—it's so jarring compared to everything else. So it's perfect. It just has to be handled a little differently.
1: Okay, so he—he just needs to have a little bit of a sense of humor about it.
0: Yes, and, and and that's great because not all men, and not any man, is the cliche. But there are some. Tendencies that women have to be more than men. Well, it's just a, expectations. And when you see it like that on the page, it's just like, did a woman write this? You know? And uh, not fair. Not fair. Because, But we're just all full of these preconceptions. And you can get away with them in real life in a way that you can't get away with them on the page without somebody noticing it.
1: All right. I want to go back to the way you have started that sentence Not all men are cliches.
0: <laughs> and then I said, not <laughs> any men. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs>
1: So we started the show with cause-effect pathway and cognitive dissonance, Ended and it
0: with Taylor's foot in her mouth.
1: <laughs> it's devolved to this: blueberry jam and all men are cliches.
0: Oh my God! <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, um, and then the next paragraph: He's it, Reggie is going to, back to the store. I arrived early, hoping to catch Mr. Rodriguez before the shop opened. Your comment is: the reader is going to need a refresh on who Rodriguez was. And we need to understand why it was him that Reggie wanted to talk to.
0: We need some anchoring here.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. So that seems to be a common theme uh, throughout the first five chapters. We are in Chapter 5 now. And then again, this, it, it comes up again in a situation where he's back at the store and you say it's been too many pages since this person was introduced. Um, we need to refresh the reader's mind about this so in general yeah,
0: because like your text said it was the guy who'd been here the other day well you know how we say we have that joke of someone says well i told you that before and you're like yeah i slept since then uh-huh. so it's sort of the same thing where yeah you told us this before but the readers read 30 pages since then and there's nothing to trigger us as to who it was but so if it said and said it was the tatted up guy with the you know, ripped jeans who'd been here the other day, problem solved. Because now we know who the guy was, but we didn't have anything to anchor us to that. We just don't know.
1: Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. The, uh, you mentioned this before when we were talking about the gardener, how he was just sort of a faceless person with gloves. And a uh, similar kind of thing here, uh, where the person, there are no distinguishing... I, I didn't use anything... To make it obvious to the reader, I didn't use any of the, I don't know what do you, I, I I know it's uh, there's a term for it these distinguishing marks that that the, authors throw in about m- people mnemonics all
0: the time. or something that that's another word I don't know how to pronounce it but
1: um, memory memory triggers okay yes so in general if if a character is going to reappear should should I or should we be thinking about using techniques like that to to reintroduce them more quickly
0: um it helps for sure it helps It, it doesn't have to be physical characteristics it can be the character's impression of people so like to give an example of hypothetically let's say he's walking into a bar and there's two bouncers outside right and you as the author know that he might get in a fight with them later well he's not going to stop and go this guy was like his name is so and so and his name is so and so because you know getting names is going to clunk it all down so now let's say in his mind he's going thing one and thing two or you know hmm. um mm-hmm. beavis and butthead so from that point on that guy now they now have a name That's Beavis, that's Butthead. When you refer to them later on in the story, bouncer guy Beavis walked in the room. Reader knows exactly who you're talking about. But the guy who was at the front door, one of the bouncers, it doesn't put as much clarity into it and requires more work and more words and more explaining to keep the reader playing those movies in their head.
1: Okay. And then as, as soon as you gave those examples then I could think of dozens of times, I've read certain things like that. And you're right. It's, it's just adding a couple of words, but it solidifies something in the reader's mind to make it really easy to bring them back later.
0: Yes. And one thing to remember as you're writing is that it's all clear in your own head, or at least a portion of it is. And so it's it, this happens in every aspect of life where Someone who has information, is so familiar with the information, they forget what you don't know. Uh, Walking into a doctor's office, if you don't ask all the right questions, the doctor may not tell you what you need to know because he just is so familiar with the situation, he doesn't impart that information to you. Uh, It it is a problem in every, every walk of life, every trade, that the people who have the information forget that the person on the other end doesn't have that same information so it's the same thing going on here as you the writer you have all this information in your head and you can forget that the reader isn't there with you and your job is to make sure that they stay with you every single step of the way and that you're communicating it effectively to them.
1: Okay, we are, just as we did last week, we are running long again. I thought we would zip through this today. So I'm going to zip through the next couple of things. And these are procedural things where you advised me that I needed to get more information or do more research. Um, One example was I have a character strumming his fingers on a Formica top table in a police station. And you said not a big deal, but this is one of those details that you get a nitpicker roiled up for mica or metal and so yeah good point and there were some other police related things where i i need more detail
0: there's so many things that we take for granted or assume to be so in the way that we interact with the world and uh some of it comes from television some of it comes from uh just bits and pieces of of assumptions that are accumulated over time. And it's really easy when you, when you get to writing a story to just put that on the page because you know it to be true. But there's probably like an 80%, 90% chance that you're wrong in some variant of the word wrong, that it's not really how things are done, that's not really what that word means, that it doesn't work the way that you think it works. And so that's when people talk about research, how much research went into your book, what they're, they think they're asking is, you know, how much reading up on this country did you do? But that's not really all that research is. Researching is fact-checking your own little details along the way, like, is this really how this machine runs, the way that I assume that it runs? Does this type of technology actually exist? Does that type of weapon really work that way? Do police officers actually behave this way? Things that you just got to check yourself, J- double-check, because you can totally ruin a book with all the a bunch of tiny little details that are wrong, um, because what's wrong for some person is going to be the other person won't notice, but the other person will notice the other thing that's wrong. You get enough of them in there, and nobody's going to like your stuff.
1: So now I'm going to go to um, probably the second to last thing that we're going to cover, and this is something that was so innocuous to me that I, when I first saw it, I thought, "What is she talking about?" Um, but but then I I got it, and I this is a a couple who own a business. And they have a lot of employees, and the employees come to their house for meals, for cocktail parties, for an annual Christmas party. And I made the <laughs> comment that the, the wife had entertained everyone who'd ever worked at the firm. And Taylor, her comment is, ha ha ha, there's got to be a, way, a better way to describe this. It makes her sound like a stripper. <laughs> The
0: wife had entertained all the men
1: who walked through the room. I don't believe I use the phrase <laughs> "men," <laughs> but I take your point. <laughs> it's just funny, uh, and I, I guess this is you know sort of expanding on uh, what we were just talking about. Uh, you know, for me, this completely and obviously meant one thing, but to you, it brought something else to mind that was amusing.
0: Yeah, especially I just went, I found the thing, and especially the the last part of the sentence was that she'd entertained everyone who'd ever worked at the firm and many of the clients. (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. The last scene in the information that uh, Taylor has looked at, the last sentence, uh, Reggie makes an observation about a person in the story. And the observation is the odds of her being involved were small. And... Again, that was sort of a throw-in line because I didn't know whether this, this person was actually involved in the crime. I haven't figured that out yet, and it's, I haven't outlined that far ahead yet, so I don't know. And I, I put it in there, and your comment was we'll either need to have some more foreshadowing of him suspecting her in order for this to make sense as written, or we need to refresh the reader's memory of what it was he'd suspected her, uh, suspected of her to begin with. And then him writing it off as like nah, and then second guessing himself, which is probably the best way to go. But um, why did you? Why did that jump out at you?
0: Because well, first of all, it is it ends a chapter, right? And any time you end a chapter with something, you that's what you're leaving the reader with, and those are very impactful words. And so if you put the odds of her being involved were small then it's going to mean something moving forward. It has to. But it's meant absolutely nothing up until this point. So it's out of place. It, it either needs something more to go with it, or it needs to be changed so that it doesn't have the same impact that it has. Because otherwise it's like, well, there weren't any odds before. So now why are there odds at all? And what has gotten him to think this way, because there was nothing leading prior to him thinking that thought, the odds of her being involved were small. There was no
1: thought of her being involved at all. So where did that just come from? Okay, and that is where we're at. I have since since you've seen this, I've written maybe twice as much. Well, I've doubled the amount of material in the book and I have not cleaned it up yet to send it back to i'm rubbing my
0: hands together in glee i get to see more of
1: this (laughs) and uh, i now i know that i absolutely have to go back and and recheck every chapter start and every scene beginning to make sure that i don't have any lanes
0: there are my eyes rolling again
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right taylor what's our call to action this week no not call to action what's our listener question
0: our listener question okay Uh, In between shows, I got a, um, between the recording of the shows, I did get an email from one of our listeners with a very small snippet of material that, because I'd put out, you know, if you had stuff that you'd like me to look at, send it in. So I did get something and I'm hoping for a little bit more too, because that way we can have quite a bit of reference material to work with. Um, So my listener question would be, what do you got for me? You know, do you have several paragraphs of work that you think if you're working on dialogue or you're working on, you know, anchoring the reader or any of those types of things and you've done your best and you're like, is this what you mean? Is this what it's supposed to look like? Send it my way.
1: Okay, excellent. So and how can they send it your way?
0: Well, for that type of thing, probably the best is by email which would be contact at taylorstevensbooks.com.
1: What else can they do at taylorstevensbooks.com?
0: Oh, there's so much good stuff there. <laughs> 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 uh, there's lots of stuff to read. And there's also a link to get onto my mailing list if you want these types of things that we talk about in writing that predate the show. Some of it does. Um, there are lots of goodies there but tell me what's your favorite thing that you found on my pages and then i'll make sure to mention it
1: (laughs) (laughs) well for me it's the newsletter i i like getting those emails from you on a regular basis. So that is our show for this week. Thank you for uh, for listening to this two-part episode. They both went a little longer than we normally do, but I think there's a lot of good information here, so I hope that you enjoy them. Next week, we will be dealing with the material that you have sent in. So if you have something to send in and you'd like it to be included, please send it via email to the address that Taylor mentioned. We will, again, we'll have those uh, the the two paragraphs the the original paragraph and the rewritten paragraph that we talked about at the beginning of the show will be in the show notes as well as the email address that you need to send the material to so go to the com and to find the show notes is that right that's right okay we will be back again next week thank you for listening thanks for sticking with us guys